You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Will Miles is off this week, co-host there. So on this episode, I'll be joined by Brett Tiancia of Pick 6 Previews, where that publication is very, and I mean very, Hi, on the Gators. We'll get into a, a long discussion with Brett uh, there. But before we do, Brett, I'll bring you in right quick, man. Uh, how's it been going? Been about a year since I spoke to you, and I uh, uh, hope, hope all is good with all the, all that's going on in the world out there. Yeah, same to you, David. Thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, I hunkered down for those uh, five months there since season ended until, uh, you know, mid-June. I uh, got this 2020 book, preview book launched and then uh right as that hit like kind of like a light switch it was just radio time and podcast time so uh 40 shows in 10 days it's been a, a heck of a radio tour and um you know really excited to talk gators here i know um just from talking with you last year and from listening into the show it's just a an excellent job you do uh and a really passionate fan base not just of gator nation overall but gators breakdown fans they're very engaging on twitter and uh it'll be great to interact again this season Absolutely. Uh, you, you, you made some headlines and we'll get into all that. Uh, a lot of positive, positive talk uh, about the Gators. So our listeners will certainly get a kick out of that. Before we get to Brett, I have a, an announcement here. Gators Breakdown and Channel 4, the local station, will be broadcasting Championship Rewind, rewind uh, replays of the Gators 2006 and 2008 National Championship Games. The 2006 title game will air 8 to 10 p.m. on July 18th. And the 08 title game will air the following Saturday, July 25th, 8 to 10 p.m. as well. Both will air on WJXT and also stream on news4jacks.com. You'll hear from former players that were involved in those games. And uh, we'll have a way for you guys to interact as well. Should be a fun time. So Saturday, July 28th and Saturday, July 25th, the 06-08 National Championship Games. Before we get to the podcast, remember you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. Go back and listen to last week's episode where we uh, look at all the talent that Florida has assembled, Dan Mullen has assembled the last couple of years, uh, and you know should it be enough for a championship run? Please share and re- review the show, subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform, and follow Gators Breakdown on social media and Twitter. Uh, and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So, Brett, again, you know, thanks for hopping on Gators Breakdown again this season. You joined us right before the season kicked off last year. And, man, things are uh, getting bigger and better for you. You know, let our listeners know what Pick 6 Previews is again and, and your growth from the last year. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. So, Pick 6, uh, Pick Six Previews I launched in 2012. It's a college football preview website and now annual preview book. Um, so over those first seven seasons, I was graded the most accurate in America in my power five predictions. 
And that's not just me saying it. That was Stassen.com has been grading all the magazines and publications that you see on newsstands. They've been grading them for decades. So according to the metric, I was number one in those first seven years. And last year, 2019, I put together my first full comprehensive preview book where it's all 65 Power 5 teams, uh, all my stats and analytics, the graphics, but then also putting it back into a very readable form, uh, you know, talking coaching schemes, recruiting strategy, uh, stuff that you don't really find on the, on the newsstand. So kind of a little bit of different angle. Um, and then, yeah, so after the 2019 book, it kind of took off and uh, around the media circles and across, you know, college football nation. And uh, I was selected to become a Heisman Trophy voter. So a uh, huge honor last year. Um, and I'm back here again, my second annual book. So that launched, like I said, two weeks ago, and uh, excited to talk about it and break it down here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you too. And you knew it's probably going to garner some headlines uh, when you put out your preview for the 2020 season. Let's start at the top and your picks for the college football playoff. Number one, no surprise, the Clemson Tigers. Number two, no surprise as well, with the Ohio State Buckeyes. And then at number three, the Florida Gators. Uh, and at number four, the Oregon Ducks. Uh, of course, Clemson and Ohio State are runaway favorites in 2020. And then it kind of does open up from there. Most have Alabama pegged as that number three team. But, Brett, you know, you guys have decided Florida will be the SEC representative in the college football playoff. So why Florida? You know, why not Alabama? Why not Georgia? Or why the Gators? Yeah, so there's a couple things to discuss here. Um, yeah, so, well, first, it might seem like a pretty outlier pick and pretty crazy of a pick. Uh, maybe it is, but last year I was on the kind of in the same path. I was the only one in America to not have Alabama in the, in the bracket. So I hit on that one, and I was on the right side of Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, I just like to put that out there because this might seem like a crazy bracket with Oregon and Florida. But, uh, yeah, so with, within the SEC, you know the champion is going to make it to the playoff, and I think this year it's Florida for a couple reasons. Um, you know, with Florida specifically, I love the staff continuity for, for 2020. Um, it's rare here. It's the first time since that 2008 national title team that you have your coordinator combo back for the third straight year. And, uh, and all my metrics, all my numbers, you start to finally see that, um, you know, those efficiencies gained in that second and especially the third year with the staff. So uh, in, in a very odd off season here without spring ball, I had kind of leaned a little bit, leaned a little bit more on staff continuity and roster continuity than I normally would. So that definitely tilts in Florida's favor uh, specifically with personnel. Um, you know, this part of defense, I don't have to tell you guys, has been a top 10 unit, top five unit uh, over the past decade. Uh, you see that on, on NFL, uh, NFL draft day. You see it on signing day and, and those four years in between those two moments where it's just aggressive, high flying, you know, fast defense. So uh, with, under the third year of Ty Grantham, that's not changing. Right. You're, I already know the defense is set. The difference why Florida, I think, makes the leap finally is on offense. Um you see the the deep stable of receivers, even after losing four great guys. Normally, that'd be enough to sink an offense, but the depth here is incredible. It's five stars galore. Uh, but really, most importantly, is at that quarterback spot where, you know, think back three, four, five years ago, it was a, you know, a freaking circus uh, carousel there. Uh, but finally, you know, uh, Kyle Trask has locked it down. He shows all SEC caliber. Um, and I think that he takes that next step to be probably the best quarterback in the league. So I think all those factors together, I was very high on Florida coming in. Uh, they were top 10 in my metrics last year. You know, played LSU pretty tightly, if you remember that game. I know it ended up being 14 point, uh, you know, 14 point spread, but that was within a score back and forth pretty much the whole game. Uh, in Trask's, what, fourth or fifth ever start. So I think you start to see even more efficiencies gained. Um, and that's, that's the take on Florida. Um, do you want me to hit on uh, Georgia and Bama real quick? 
Uh, you can go ahead and hit on Alabama. And most people do have them, like I said, have them third uh, there. We'll get into Georgia later, of course. That's the, the big uh, – we, we've discussed Georgia a lot here on Gators Breakdown, and that's the big hurdle, of course, Florida has yeah. to get over. Uh, but, yeah, you know, mostly if everybody else out there, all the other publications do have Alabama representing the SEC. So, uh, you know, what uh, – of course, you know, it's splitting hairs right now between Florida, Alabama, and, and Georgia. So, I guess uh, what does hold you back about Alabama just a little bit yeah so i have a couple concerns with alabama um you know mainly it's defensively and um it is crazy within alabama's context but this was alabama's worst defense under nick saban statistically and yes it's still finished top 15 but uh you started to see some cracks in the armor there where uh coming into 2019 nick saban had never allowed 45 plus points to an sec opponent and it happened not just once but twice in november alone last year with uh, joe barrow going through him and auburn so you started to see some breakdowns in the secondary. Uh, they lost a little bit of an edge on their pass rush. And now both of those issues are worsened this this offseason with both of their pass rush edge guys gone in the NFL as high picks. Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis both gone. Uh, Three-fourths of that secondary is gone. Uh, so I see some major personnel losses on defense. Um, and then, not to mention, you lose a generational-type quarterback with Tua. I know Mac Jones played fine uh, th- towards the back half of that season, cost him the Auburn game with two pick sixes. Um, but when you look back at his numbers, it was a lot of short passes that were caught at or behind the line, maybe a few year, a few yards down the field. But really what it was was that wide receiver stable making incredible All-American plays and, you know, juking around for 60 yards. So we haven't really seen much of Mac Jones. It's still a question mark to me. And uh, the way that defense started to slide and, and loses a lot of key pieces Plus, they, they, they do draw Georgia, which hurts both of them in my, in my you know, in, in a forecasting type type way. I mean, one of them's getting tagged with an early loss there. So, uh, yeah, I, I have Florida above all, uh, Alabama and above Georgia. Well, you mentioned, you know, those two teams playing each other, Georgia and Alabama. Does Florida's schedule play a, a part in you picking them to make the college football playoff? Yeah, definitely. I think that um, when it gets down to, like, like you said, splitting hairs with these top 10, top five teams, Schedule, you got, you got to look at. So Alabama and Georgia, right away, someone's getting tagged with a loss. Um, and with Florida, they don't draw Alabama this year. They, uh, what they do, as usual, they're playing LSU. Um, but when you look at LSU, and not to get sidetracked, but you're talking 14 starters are gone. Uh, it was kind of the perfect one-year wonder where everything clicked. But now everything's gone. You have Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, gone to Baylor. Joe Brady, that ace pass game coordinator, back to the pros. Burrow gone. You know, 14 starters gone. So. I think and you and you draw them in the swamp. So I think that's a favorable crossover game while Georgia gets hit with Bama. Um, so yeah, schedule helps. A lot of Florida's normal rivals might be down a little bit here with Florida State, uh, you know, going through a coaching change without a spring. Um, and then um, yeah, we just mentioned LSU too. So favorable schedule, favorable draw cross division, uh, favorable non-conference. So yeah, that all leans again just another metric in Florida's favor. You mentioned coaching staff, and of course, at the top there is Dan Mullen. And you went back in, in your preview this year. You went back and looked at the coaching carousel of 2018, and and using your data, Dan Mullen was the best hire made that year, and it's not even close when comparing him to other coaches. You know, even big name coaches, Jimbo Fisher, Mario Cristobal, Scott Frost, who uh, many Gator fans wanted, Jeremy Pruitt there at Tennessee, Chip Kelly. We all remember the. Uh, back and forth with Florida uh, for, uh, for a few days and if he was going to be the next Gators head coach. And, of course, also the the already fired Willie Taggart from FSU. Uh, like I said, you went back and uh, you have Mullen by it. The way your points 
kind of break out. You have Mullen by about 10 points over Jimbo Fisher, and that's a pretty big gap there. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners that may not be familiar with my book yet, it's, um, you know, I have a lot of analytics and numbers and, and formulas I've, I've created. Um, but what it is, is I have them there. Uh, the graphics are shown, but I love to, to discuss what they mean because I like putting it back into football terms. You don't want to read about, you know, Florida's 0.12x and x metric. But, you know, <laughs> we do that a lot really... here. We do that a lot here, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a place for it, but I like to put it back in the readable terms. So yep. You get both. You get the analytics and the words. So what I did here was, you know, you always hear on, on uh, coaching carousels in, in late December when people are getting hired left and right. You see these people rush to Twitter and do grades, you know, A plus or B minus. We have no idea how these are going to turn out. Right. I remember uh, Herm Edwards got roasted uh, Arizona State when they hired him. It was a big joke. And then, um, you know, everyone was saying how UCLA with Chip Kelly, they won the whole carousel. So I like to wait a few years, you know, two, three, four years and then look back, use my formula, my game grader formula and really evaluate how these things turned out. Um, and another thing I like to do, too, is put it within the program context, because another good example is Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Yeah. He wins seven or eight games at Iowa State. That's not the same as winning seven or eight at Alabama. So I like to look at the three or four years before the coach arrived, you know, for some recent context, and then look at his two or three or four years he's been there. So uh, with that in mind, yeah, Dan Mullen blew away the competition from that 2018 carousel. Um, that was the same year I just mentioned where Chip Kelly was the uh, the sought after prospect, uh, sought after coach, um, and that really, I mean, that's been. You, you watch anything in the Pac-12, it's always empty Rose Bowl games out there, and they're getting <laughs> embarrassed. I mean, you look at Willie Taggart; uh, he was, like you said, second worst in my metrics there. Fired mid-season in his second year. Um, who else is down there? Actually, Jeremy Pruitt. He's doing fine. Uh, the numbers are a little low on him, but I expect a big jump from them this year. But Long story short, uh, what Dan Mullen's been able to do there, it's been able to stabilize the offense, um, obviously stabilize the quarterback position, which was in shambles uh, under McIlwain, and uh, yeah, and, and, and elevate the recruiting a bit. You're starting to see that pay off. So all things considered, on the field, off the field, my metrics, I mean, he's the clear winner in this, in this cycle. And I think you'll see him, along with Jimbo and uh, Mario Cristobal, each take another step in their third years, and we'll see how it shakes out at the next uh, season. Yeah, it would be interesting with your uh, college football playoff prediction. You have Crystal Ball and and Mullen there, so it would be two. It would be two 2018 guys yep. <laughs> who uh, yep. who would make that big leap. And all right, Brett, as you mentioned, you're a recent uh, you know recipient of of being a Heisman Trophy voter uh, recently, uh, dating back to last year. You have the Gators in the college football playoff, so you know if that comes to fruition, then you would have to. St- think that would also mean Kyle Trask is having another good season uh, if Florida's in, in that final four and that he would be in the running for the Heisman Trophy you know a quarterback on a college football playoff team from the SEC will get a lot of love so now it, it, it's hard to see anyone but Trevor Lawrence or, or, or Justin Fields winning it at this time but if the season works out like you predict you know how serious should we take a, a, a Kyle Trask Heisman conversation? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. So uh, I'm not going to speak for all Heisman voters. I mean, I want to keep an open mind to all positions, you know, defenders, receivers. You know, I, I really want to be be fair with this. I cover all 66 Power 5 teams uh, and, and uh, on a deep level. Um, but I think that the majority of Heisman voters you'll see out there uh, kind of narrow their scope down to quarterbacks mostly and not just that, but on playoff or conference champ type teams. So. With that said, I mean, if we're talking Florida in the playoff, then he's going to be on the very short list on a lot of uh, Heisman voters' ballots out there. Um, because to get him to that point, to get him to a playoff caliber team, 
Uh, you'll even see a step forward in his stats, which were already uh, about top 15, top 10 last year. Um, so talking about Trask specifically here, uh, if you look at who's returning for 2020, uh, yeah, you have the two headliners there. Justin Fields, he was the only returning Heisman candidate from last year. And Trevor Lawrence, is, you know, he's been on the national scene for a while. From there, there's only a, a handful of guys that are right there with Trask quarterback-wise. It's uh, Keaton Slovis from USC. Uh, he's, he excels in that air raid offense out there. Sam Howell, this other freshman from UNC. Uh, great stats, great offense. Tanner Morgan, Minnesota, very efficient with the ball. You know, he's not going to put up 60 points a game, but takes care of the ball, high completion rate. And with Kyle Trask, yeah, he fits in more in that efficiency area. You know, um, I don't th- I don't see this offense, even if it takes a big step forward, it's not going to be a, you know, an LSU or an mm-hmm. Oklahoma, you know, 60 point a game offense. And for what it's worth, doesn't need to be. I don't think it needs to be that. Um, I think the key is if he cuts down a bit on picks, I know 25 touchdowns and seven picks is still pretty solid. But if you can look at something like uh, Justin Fields, where he only threw two, three picks all year. So super efficient with the ball. Uh, some home runs. You want to see some more vertical pass game. I know that was um, a little bit schematic, but uh, I think you'll see more of that this year. Um, but yeah, to talk about Trask a little bit more, what really impressed me, I mean, this was a first time starter and not just college starter, but he didn't even start back in high school. So the way that he was thrown right into the fire there down 21 to 10 against Kentucky uh, in the fourth quarter leads three. Uh, I think it was three touchdown drives in the fourth quarter to secure a win. Uh, I mean, that's just, you know, that's that's right in the fire. So you always see a quarterback make a big leap in his, from his first to second year starting. I can only imagine, uh, you know, first to second year ever starting. I mean, it's going to be even bigger of a jump, not to mention the, um, you know, the, the coordinator continuity, which is if you look at Georgia, right, that you know, they don't have that over there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty big on Trask. And, you know, for all those reasons, he's, he's got the total package. I think he takes another step forward. Yeah, definitely an interesting story. <laughs> not just the, you know, not starting, getting a chance versus Kentucky and, and, and leading Florida to 11 victories. But, I mean, just you know, as you said, to be be able to amass all the experience he's been able to amass before he even got his chance and then to be able to put it all together. Um, and, you know, of course, we'll see how COVID and all that kind of stuff reacts there. But uh, knowing the offense won't be a problem. It's just, uh, you know, and, and there were videos of him out there over this past summer, you know, working out and stuff. It's a bit different when you get together as a team and all that, but uh, you would hope that everything kind of pieced together, everything added together does lead to a, lead to a jump. And kind of like you, uh, a lot of people want to kind of compare him to the Joe Burrow and going from one year's, you know, Joe Burrow didn't wasn't at LSU all the time, but transferred in, played one year, and then took this huge leap in year two. It's asking too much to see that type of leap. That was a generational quarterback play for a season that we saw from Joe Burrow. And like you said, mm-hmm. Trask doesn't need to be that, but mm-hmm. I, th- I do caution a lot of uh, Gator fans out there too, who and I have seen it, who want that Joe Burrow type leap. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, I again, I don't think it needs to happen. I think a lot of that at LSU, I, you know, don't get me wrong, Joe Burrow was incredible. Um, a lot of that was the scheme they were in. I mean, they brought in a, you know, Drew Brees' past game coordinator, um, and, you, and they started spreading five wide every play and four wide. And, um, yeah, so you don't need that to happen here. I think um, to get Florida to the playoff caliber that they need to be, uh, it's just take care of the ball, be efficient, uh, connect on a bit more home runs and, and vertical balls than last year. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the line, but I think better pass pro, but much better run push is going to be the key. So this isn't an offense that's got to go put up 50 or 60 a game. I think, you know, take care of the ball, be efficient, 
uh, you know, 35, 40 points that area, even that's very high, but yeah. you don't need an LSU type uh, breakthrough to, to make the playoff. Okay, Brett, here it is. It's time to give you a lot of praise here. <laughs> so uh, last year on Gators Breakdown, you, tout, you touted uh, tight end Kyle Pitts. You, you, you know, we didn't really get to see much of him in his first season in Gainesville, but you got to see him up close and personal in high school. So you had an idea of what the Gators were getting here, but I don't even think the most diehard Gator fan could envision the production Pitts had last season. Uh, you have pegged him a first-team All-American, first-team All-SEC Um did even what with what we saw last year? Did it even surprise you? Even though you pegged him as the you know the breakout player for the Gators last year? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't think even I could have predicted that. I I, I remember coming on the show; it was a pretty unique connection because I'm from Eastern Pennsylvania, uh, far from Gainesville, far from the usual Florida you know recruiting footprint. Uh, so you guys pulled in Kyle Pitts uh, from Archbishop Wood, um, one of these like uh, one of these private school powers out here in Pennsylvania. So I, I followed the high school football pretty closely. Uh, my alma mater made it all the way to the state final four um, public school, though, going up, going up against, a, you know, a recruiting juggernaut like Archbishop Wood. And, uh, you know, we had some decent cornerbacks trying to guard him. But then you see this six, six, you know, monster out there for high school football. He was incredibly athletic, uh, you know, jumping over kids, that kind of stuff. And, and I th- remember thinking, like, man, wait, just wait two or three years till this kid's in the SEC. Uh, he It'll be a good measuring stick, not only for Pennsylvania, but I think he can make a splash. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't think I'd be talking All-American a year from then. So, um, yeah, very impressed with his breakout last year. Uh, it makes sense given his frame, his athleticism and, uh, you know, having a, finally a solid quarterback to throw to him. Um, so, yeah, I think he makes yet another another leap forward. I have him as the number one tight end of the nation uh, that came down to really him and Pat Fryermuth from Penn State. Uh, another athletic guy who's who's very involved in the pass game, but they're going through a coordinator change, and I don't trust Sean Clifford as much as as I trust Kyle Trask. So I think the whole package, plus he's got other receivers around him. We'll talk about that. Uh, you can't just double cover Pitts. You can't really design defenses around him because there's so many weapons around him to uh, you know to also focus on. So I, I look for another huge year from Pitts. Um, I'm glad he proved me right, and uh, excited to see this kid's future. Yeah, and just speaking of that passing game there, you talk about the Gators unit not just being able to the double two double team pits. You know, in your top national units, you had the quarterback situation at Florida ranked fifth in the country behind only Ohio State, Clemson, North Carolina, and USC. And the Gators wide receiver tied in unit as the eighth best in in the country. So it looks like as a whole, you do expect more fireworks through the year for this Gators offense. Yeah, I I think for sure. I think that um you know, offense and, and football in general, it, it, everything everything impacts each other on the field. I think a better offensive line, a stronger offensive line, better run push, more balance is actually going to open up the pass game even more. Uh, you saw in 2018, it was a bit more run focused. Um, and I think Mullen was playing to his strengths a bit there. Last year had to flip the script a bit, um, you know, with the transitional type line and um, and really took advantage of those, those receivers and pits last year. And it works. So um, but yeah, so like I said at the top, anytime you lose four, I think it's yeah four senior wide receivers. You know, that's usually enough to just tank an offense. But uh, the way that that Florida continues to recruit, uh, getting Trevin Grimes to come back, uh, that was a major win. Pitts, we talked about Jacob Copeland. Yeah, I mean he played like a, you know he played like a freshman at times last year. But you you saw his high athleticism and ceiling. You're going to see that clip this year. Kadarius Tony is just the X factor. I mean you could use him in you know, 10 different ways. And I think you started to see him take on more of the full wide receiver role a bit towards the end of the year. You're going to see more of that. So 
yeah, I mean, even guys like Zipper are behind the whole crew. Um, so yeah, it, it, there's just so much talent at receiver. You're gonna, it, it's impossible not to to see an improvement um, overall as an offense. And the reason I had Florida fifth in the quarterbacks rating, uh, obviously Trask too, but factoring in Emory Jones too into that because we're not just talking all American, we're talking units. So with Emory Jones as a one-two punch. Uh, who else in the country has been able to manage two quarterbacks like Dan Mullen, uh, just, just here in 2008, um, the way he did it with, uh, or 2006 with, uh, Leak and Tebow. Uh, and it wasn't just there. I mean, Dak Prescott at Mississippi state, you know, they, they never won games out of Mississippi state, but he pulled that out. And even up at Utah a place that had never done anything, uh, Alex Smith, he develops, he's just a quarterback whisperer. So, uh, given his background and the two athletes there with Trask and Emory Jones, I think that they'll get creative with Jones, but not enough to be a distraction. I think even if that increases some of those, you know, short yardage plays or some red zone, that could be just enough to put this thing over the top. So I, I'm very uh, optimistic offensively. Brett, I think that is the question. You know, Emory Jones, Lorenzo Lingard, Stuart Reese, we all think can be big. You know, of course, we have, we saw Emory Jones last year uh, and, and in the last couple of years being able to contribute in some way. But to help this run game, Emory Jones, and, uh, you know, a step up for, for, for him in, in this complete offense, you know, I think if he can use his arm a bit, that will also help him in the run game uh, a little bit. But the, but the additions of Lorenzo Lingard, Stuart Reese as well, transfers, both of those guys transfer in and, and get to play this season. You know, hopefully the Gators do have some help there uh, to get to improve the running game because you know by having you know Florida in the college football playoff, that's not going to happen if this run game doesn't improve from last year and, and help Kyle Trask so it's not all on him. Yeah, uh, there's definitely room for improvement um, offensive line-wise. I think they were about middle of the pack in run push. They were still above average in pass pro, but, you know, you can still continue to improve there. Um, now, something to note, and you guys have talked about this at length, but uh, just John Hevesy as an offensive line developer, uh, proven track record. You get him in, in his third year here, just like the rest of the staff. I think you're going to see another game. Uh, it's, it's a veteran unit. Everyone's pretty much back. Plus, like you mentioned, getting Stuart Reese in. Now, this, is, this isn't just a random transfer. This is a three-year starter um, from an SEC program. Not just that, he was handpicked by Mullen and Hevesy themselves back mm-hmm. when uh, they were in Starkville recruiting, and I think he started their first year, or his first year, 20, 2017. Um, so anyway, it's really rare to add a three-year starting Power 5 lineman. And the only other example this year in football is Coy Cronk moving over from Indiana to Iowa. So extremely rare. Um, at the very least, you're, you're bringing in a, you know, a, a starting, you know, you're locking down a starting spot right away. Um, but he has an upside himself. So yeah, I think that the, the experience level, um, just the overall continuity, uh, yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot to like now I haven't seen as much on Lorenzo Lingard. Uh, you gotta trust a little bit of the, about the recruiting rankings there as a five-star from, from Miami. Um, but not just that we did see a bit of Damian Pierce last year, another 200 top 200 kid uh shined a little bit at times behind p ryan so there's just enough talent there and 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 a you know a smart enough staff that i think that it clicks all right we'll get brett's thoughts on more college football talk and this gators defense too but before we do support for today's episode comes from manscaped guys some of the beaches are open you can enjoy the pool the sun is shining and the bushes must be tamed manscaped is here to ensure you look good while having fun in the sun Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0 Essentials Kit. The Perfect Package 3.0 Kit comes with a new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 
waterproof cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those in need of a chest shave. This third generation trimmer features skin safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You can also adjust the settings to get a length you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. And be sure to use the Manscaped Crop Preserver. Um, it's um, an anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer because chafing can be painful when you're wearing your bathing suit all day. you also find the Crop Reviver, a below-the-belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and smell great. When you purchase the new Perfect Package 3.0 kit at manscaped.com, you get the biggest bang for your buck. Subscribers get a new replacement blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. For a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag at $39 value and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped boxer briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code GATERS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code GATERS at manscaped.com. All right, Brett, we'll continue here. And uh, on the other side of the ball, you have the Gators as the ninth, ninth best defensive line, ninth best linebackers in the country, and fourth best defensive backs in the nation as well, headlined by second-team All-American defensive back Kyrie Elam. In your preview, you mentioned, quote here, Florida has always had an elite defense loaded with NFL talent. While Georgia's defense may have more returning starters, Florida has just as high of potential. Uh, and, and you know what, Brett, you know, for Florida to make the college football playoff, that potential is going to have to show up, you know, when they play the better teams on the schedule, something that has bugged Todd Grantham these last two seasons. You know, the next step in his evolution at Florida is, is to come up with a plan to stop Georgia, be a bit more consistent, you know, and that will go a long way in determining uh, the ceiling for the Gators this year. Yeah, I think first off, he's got to figure out Georgia's third down packages. Uh, <laughs> I, that was just an uh, incredible stat. I saw that. The, the third down conversions Georgia had over Florida. Um, and then specifically, the last time Grantham, uh, I think it was he, Grantham was at Louisville and struggled again with Georgia's offense. But, yeah, that's kind of a side note. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, they got to unlock another, you know, another level here. The potential is definitely there. Now, it's not as proven as Georgia's, like I said, but the raw potential is there. So, Another metric I have in the book is um, I like to look at coordinator grades and, um, you know, offense and defense percentiles, that kind of thing. And what I do is I scale it. Uh, I want to get opponent strength in there because, you know, rushing for 100 yards against uh, Akron isn't the same as rushing for 100 against Alabama. So uh, opponent adjusted and pace pace of play adjusted. Long story short, uh, over the last decade, Florida is number three on defense for me, me meaning that, you know, over those 10 years, they are the third best defensive program uh, against their opponents, um, you know, factoring in pace of play. Um, so, and that's no surprise to you guys. I mean, you see it. Uh, it's a very attacking defense. It's fast. Uh, it's, it's always, you know, top 10, top 15 recruiting. Um, you know, it's top five in NFL draft picks. And uh, you're going to see more of that. So, yeah, you do lose Jonathan Grenard and Jabari Zuniga off the edges. And that's, that's it. That was a huge part of why they finished top five in, um, in the aggressive negative play rate that I do. A uh, ton of, you know, 22 tackles for loss, 12 sacks, the whole bit. So, yes, that's gone. Uh, but you did see Zachary Carter excel in his um, his six-game audition there when Zaniga was out. So uh, we already have a proven commodity there with Carter. Uh, plus, you're starting to fill in five stars now at the openings. Uh, Brenton Cox moving over from Georgia, five-star kid there. Um, you know, I like Slayton in the middle, already getting some NFL buzz. So 
you know, and and, and five stars and, you know, uh, Gervin Dexter there, uh, number one rated player in Florida. So a lot of pieces up front. Again, that, that kind of ties back to the potential versus proven. Yeah, Georgia probably has the most proven defense coming back, 10 starters back from their unit. But Florida, for, for where their vacancies are, there are five-star talents coming in. Uh, I'm a believer in in aggregate, the recruiting rankings. I know they can miss on a kid here and there, but, uh, you know, when you have this many uh, blue chippers, they're, they're more right than wrong. So, um, and then not to mention, I think that the biggest strength here is the secondary. Um, you know, you guys have a legit claim to that DBU discussion that people yell about on Twitter all year. <laughs> uh, fourth most in NFL draft pick defensive backs since 2000. Um, you know, just, just saw CJ Henderson make the leap. Uh, but yeah, getting Marco Wilson back, he could have gone pro. Uh, getting him another year of development, I think will be big. Uh, forms a great duo with Elam McCorner. Um, that's a kid where really shined towards the end of the year. Uh, great showing in the Orange Bowl and uh, made the All Freshman team. That's, I, you know, maybe I'm a little bit of a sucker for the bull bump there, but seeing his performance down the stretch, I think he makes a, a huge gain uh, into All American discussion this year. So. Uh, and then, yeah, in the in, at the safety spots and the star and the nickel, right? Um, you might have some shifting around of, of personnel, but I just know that there's so many guys back there that uh, something, of, uh, you know, a rotation or a lineup will click. So, uh, yeah, pretty confident overall with Florida's defense. All right, then let's go to uh, a little more on Florida's toughest competition in the East, and that, of course, is Georgia. You have them sixth in your rankings uh, there. So, you know, the best defense in the country to go along with a, a retooled offense. So, you know, it, it, I guess the question could be, is it the offense that kept you from picking the Bulldogs to capture the SEC East and, and you know, potentially the SEC? Yeah, that's completely it, really. I mean, uh, the defense proved itself time and again. Um you know, that means this will be a top five defense. There's no way around it. Ten starters back, ton of production back. Um, they've, they're actually the number one recruiting program now in the country. They finally passed Alabama. So, yeah, they're loaded on defense. Um, Offense-wise is where I'm concerned because, first off, it's it kind of looks like a 1980s offense anyway. The last time they won a title, they're kind of stuck in the 80s. Um, that's what held them back over the From era, those three years, where they, they might have been pretty efficient, but – Whenever they needed to really put up points, uh, they kind of crumbled. So, um, so to their credit, they tried to, to emulate what LSU did and what Alabama did to a degree and kind of modernize the offense, uh, bring in a new scheme, a more vertical passing scheme. They brought in this guy, Todd Monken, who, um, if it's unfamiliar of a name, think of the Oklahoma State Big 12 offenses back with Brandon Whedon, Justin Blackman, those, you know, uh, those Mike Gundy offenses. So he's in. The issue is when do they have time to install this thing? You yeah. know, I mean, this is you usually have those 15 spring practices. I would have even been a little bit wary anyway uh, with with just the normal spring. But take out that development time and install time. I don't know how you're going to settle this thing in a, in a very, very short fall camp. So there's that. Um, what made Georgia great the last couple of years uh, or at least you know, average on offense was that offensive line. That was their strength Four of those guys are now playing on Sundays. So you have a transition there. And then lastly, a quarterback I mentioned from departing. They do bring in this uh, Jamie Newman, who, I mean, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, you see this guy already being crowned the best quarterback in the SEC. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go that far. Um, I try to watch a ton of his tape. Pretty solid in the downfield pass game, and that's going to mesh well with what Monken wants. But then you have to wonder to yourself, I mean, yeah, he's doing this against Duke and against, uh, you know, Georgia Tech, teams like this. I don't know how that's going to transfer, uh, you know, into the SEC East and Alabama and 
and teams like that. So I think some of that was schematic, what Wake Forest was doing. Uh, again, until proven, I don't know why we can just name this guy the top uh, quarterback in the conference. So, um, A lot yeah, of Gator fans agree with you on that part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably making some Gator friends. No, I'm, I'm being honest here. I need to kind of see it because when he was playing against a great caliber defense that you'd see in the SEC, a.k.a. Clemson, uh, they got totally wrecked. I think it was like 59 to three. And um, yeah, so until he proves it, until this offense gets installed without any any type of preseason, uh, that was a definite question mark for me. So they're going to have to really rely on the off, uh, on the defense and try and just, uh, you know, power run teams. But again, four starters on the offensive line gone. So that was definitely the big reason that held me back and uh, why I'm a bit more pessimistic than the, the other national media on Georgia. But in, in behind Florida and Georgia in the SEC East, you know, we get the question this year. You know, Tennessee goes on a, a late season a run last year. Uh, you know, comes back with a big, you know, big victory for you know not being able to play in, in some bowl games. They get a big victory in a bowl game versus Indiana. Comeback fashion last year. Uh, Kentucky has given Florida fits. You know, the last few years and, and it beat them two years ago. And we all we just you know discussed earlier in the episode Kyle Trask having to come in. And, and and lead the comeback there, so you know behind Florida, behind Georgia, you have Kentucky and Tennessee, probably uh, the two teams kind of fighting it out behind them. Of course, you know we'll see if South Carolina can can bounce back after a really really tough schedule last year, and you know maybe a do or die year for Will Muschamp, and who knows what going on with Missouri and, and, and Vanderbilt. But Tennessee, Kentucky, how do you, how do you see it shaking out between Florida and Georgia there? Uh, you know. As, as I said, you know, Kentucky has given Florida fits and, you know, Florida fans kind of kind of pinpoint Kentucky uh, as that team maybe behind uh, these two, two about these two traditional powers. But, uh, you know, it could be uh, Tennessee and, and Kentucky. I'll, I'd still be surprised if one of them sneak up to, to get second, but I think they'll be fighting, fighting it out for third there. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think that Georgia and Florida have separated themselves at the top. Um, but that's not to say that this is going to be a very physical uh, gauntlet here. I mean, so Tennessee, I'm actually pretty high on. And before uh, before Gators fans laugh, I think <laughs> that this is a bit different than the Butch Jones, uh, you know, that fake hype that they had, the brick by brick hype. I think here with Pruitt, he's building it from the inside out. It's built in the trenches, uh, built defense first. You see Pruitt, how excellent he was at Alabama as their defensive coordinator. And since he's left. Uh, like I mentioned at the top, you start to see a little bit of cracks. I know they're still a top 15 defense, but they're no longer that number one, you know, by far dynasty defense that they used to be under him. So uh, Pruitt building it from the from the inside out. Uh, both of these teams, Tennessee and Kentucky, have what I call top five offensive lines. They both finished in the top five of my line metric there or uh, unit ranks. Um, a lot of S- all SEC guys, a lot of all American linemen. So, yeah, well, I think Florida will beat them both. Uh, they're going to be physical, physical games. Um, and I think that it's time that we stop the uh, – and I, I don't do this, but you see it on Twitter where how everyone says the SEC West is so far ahead of the East. I think that time's over. It, it, the gap has narrowed here. If you look at the top four on the East versus the top four on the West this year, all four – I mean, so all eight of them are ranked in my preseason poll. Uh, I have Tennessee up at 15. I have Kentucky at 23. Uh, just solid programs solid defenses and solid offensive lines. So if Tennessee can figure out their quarterback spot uh, there, they could give some teams some trouble. Um, now. Yeah. I think that, like I said, it's definitely a, a divide between the Georgia, Florida crew and then uh, and these two, but um, yeah, there won't be an easy out against Tennessee or Kentucky. Let's say that. 
And what was an easy out the last couple of years for Florida was uh, FSU. <laughs> what, all, man, what happened with uh, Willie Taggart uh, the last couple of years there? And, you know, Mike Norvell comes in from Memphis and uh, is going to, you know, change, has to change a lot there at, at Florida State. You know, they, they, they fell off a cliff. Uh, you know, Jimbo's last year and Willie Taggart's first two years wasn't able to get it turned around. Uh, how do you like the Mike Norvell hire? You know, how long will it take in, in your estimation to turn it around before? Uh, you know that uh, you know Florida, Florida State is back up to uh, you know one of the nation's top rivalries as far as you know it being a big game. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack with Florida State. I think first off, I like the hire. Uh, he's had success everywhere. Um, you know, pretty good offensive, pretty you know great offensive mind there. And he brings in Kelly Dinning, uh, Kenny Dillingham, uh, another great offensive guru there. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good hire. But again, it's not going to. Ha- there's not enough time to install all of this offense. A very complex system overnight now what i do like about florida state specifically in 2020 is that defense um you know marvin wilson back he, he could be a first round pick next year uh the secondary is loaded with all american candidates asante samuel jr um you know he's taking on uh terry in practice every day and I, apparently it's 50 50 or even samuel winning those battles so um yeah i i, lo- I love the defense offensively this is uh james blackman's fourth offensive coordinator mm-hmm. in four years so, I mean, this is – and not to mention without a, without an offseason this time. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really tough to get that thing installed offense-wise. The defense will have to carry them, but I still have them outside the top 25. Now, going forward as a rivalry, um, the Gators, Florida, have really taken the lead in recruiting on them. Uh, Florida State used to be neck and neck as one of the best recruiting programs in the country. You saw under Taggart, it really uh, – it fell out of the top 15 for the first time ever. And then now out of the top 20 for the first time ever, it's just unthinkable. So uh, unless they can get that, that recruiting machine back up, I mean, I think you'll start to see Florida uh, extend their lead as the premier team in the, in the, uh, in the state. Yeah, Brett, last thought here for, for you. And you've kind of mentioned it a couple of times, you know, in regards to FSU just now, Georgia uh, a little bit as well, with everything we're dealing with, with COVID and, and no spring practice and, and the limited availability these coaches have had with their players. Um, you have Clemson, you have Ohio State, you have Florida, you have Oregon uh, there, and you, you you know really good established head coaches, you know, crystal ball there with, with the least experience out of the four there. But how do you, how do you see the predictability uh, of the season in the games themselves? Is it, are we looking at, you know, a crazy 2007 type season where there's upsets, you know, left and right. Uh, or, you know, is it kind of just, you go with, you know, the, the talent, you go with what you think, you know, and you think it plays out more that way. And maybe even behind those teams, that's kind of where all the mayhem comes from. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to predict what kind of season we'll have just because uh, of COVID. And, and we don't know how these 18 to 22 year old kids will, will deal with this. Yeah, Dave, it's funny. Maybe maybe uh, 2007 would be the most 2020 thing possible at this moment. Uh, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> something, you know, something crazy like that. But, yeah, so what goes into my book is, um, you know, over a 1,000 hours total, it's film study. Uh, it's talking to coaches, talking to coordinators, talking to local beat writers, listening in to local shows just like this one, trying to get right to the details. Um, as a one-man operation, I'm, I'm looking for anything I can find, any detail, any stat, any film. So one key metric was spring games for me. I used to watch every spring game I could get my hands on and, and not so much to see if, if orange beat blue or what the score was, but to see these early enrollee freshmen, to see the rising starters, uh, seeing any new coaching schemes, how quickly they've been installed or what they look like, personnel stuff. So without the spring games as a tool, 
um, you know, I'm flying a little bit more blind than usual. So what, what that's forced me to do, and I know I've probably mentioned this 10 times, I try not to, but it's so important this year is, is the continuity, um, having that same scheme already in place, uh, having your quarterback proven, having most of your offense back, same with defense. So, uh, in kind of a blind off season, I'm having to rely a bit more on that or a bit more on some of the underlying recruiting rankings where you think that overall talent and, and overall experience are going to have to, you know, be factored in a bit more. So, um, yeah. And again, on, on the virus stuff, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on anything like that. So, and I, I'd be careful with looking at opinions online that people are talking in definitives that they know what's going to happen or know what's not going to happen. I have no idea, right? This, this thing changes day to day. And I think, uh, as long as there's a safe way to get it done, a uh, feasible way to get it done, I hope we get a season. So, but, um, yeah, I don't have a definitive answer on that. I don't think anyone should because this thing is so variable and we're just all going to have to wait and see. So, but hopefully, you know, safety first and get this thing under control and then get our game. So I think the, I think the country needs it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys out there, you pick six previews. I mean, if you listen to Gators breakdowns, that means I know you like data driven <laughs> analysis, all that good stuff. And, and Brett Ciencia has it there. Brett, let everybody know uh, how they can pick up uh, pick six previews and, and what you have for our Gators listeners. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, on Twitter, it's at Pick Six Previews, uh, and then online, it's PickSixPreviews.com. And uh, once you get on there, you'll see I have a couple sample pages of teams, uh, you, so you can see an example of the level of detail I go into, the graphics, the stats, everything. Uh, so a couple example teams, some testimonials. I uh, just got a big one in from the Bear on College Game Day. That was pretty sweet. Uh, but yeah, for all the Gators Breakdown listeners, want to give back because this is a really passionate community here, um, what Dave's built here. So. So just type in Gators at checkout and a nice discount there. Uh, again, that's Gators at checkout. Um, and yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter. I mean, I see, see you guys interacting all off season. So uh, it, it's been a pleasure getting to know a lot of you and uh, interact on Twitter. So um, yeah, thanks Dave for having me on and um, good luck to you guys as you continue to build this thing. Thank you much. Thank you much. Brett Ciencia of Pick 6 Previews has the Florida Gators in the college football playoff, and you can read more on the Gators, as he said, with his Pick 6 Previews 2020 preview. A lot of uh, good insight uh, on the Gators there. Hey, Brett, man, I can't thank you enough for uh, for hopping on again, and, man, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and I'm, I'm going to book you a year from now, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do it again. Yeah, thanks, Dave, anytime, and uh, we'll be in touch on Twitter, and uh, you know, hopefully we're talking football this fall. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, thanks, man. Thank you, thank you. That is Brett Ciencia of Pick 6 Previews joining us here on Gators Breakdown. Big thanks to him. Big thanks to him. A reminder, uh, you know, uh, Saturday, July 18th, uh, you'll get the 2006 Florida Gators National Championship on Channel 4 WJXT from 8 to 10 p.m. And then the very next Saturday, the 2008 National Championship game versus Oklahoma. Uh, they'll be streaming on newsforjacks.com as well. Uh, and you can watch them live on Channel 4 WJXT, and that'll be a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of fun. As I said, we will have some kind of interaction thing going on there at News for Jack, so uh, be on the lookout for that as well. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I am your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>